Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we thank you oh so much for the opportunity you've given us to gather in your house and be able to get back into your word. Help us now as we do that, as we pray in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. Continuing our Exploring the Word series in the book of Romans. Pick it up here in Romans chapter 13. Now, the setting here, at this time, Paul is writing this letter to the church at Rome, but he is actually in Corneth at the time, which is in the same general region, but he's sending this letter to to Rome. And Rome is under the control of Nero. Nero was a, a bit of a scoundrel. And he eventually is the one who winds up the order of Paul being executed as his head cut off. But near the time that Paul is writing this letter to Rome, there was a lot of of turmoil in Rome, a lot of persecution of the Christians. There's actually a fire that winds up being in Rome that destroys a good portion of Rome. And it's, it's said that Nero himself may have instigated that fire being set. But to take blame off of himself, he blamed the Christians for setting the fire, which led to even more persecution of the Christians. And they would even arrest Christians and sew skins of various animals on them and then release them into a, an arena with some wild, vicious dogs and have them torn apart. And Nero would take Christians and dip them in tar and hang them up on a big pole and light their bodies to illuminate the parties and festivals that he would have, the orgies and so forth. So Nero was a pretty ruthless and evil ruler. And yet you see what Paul writes here in chapter 13. It reads, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Now these powers, he's actually speaking of governments, the government officials. And for Paul to write that and to acknowledge that even a ruthless individual as Nero was and a leader as he was, that he still is under this category of being ordained of God. Just as we can look around the world and see some pretty sorry leaders and doing some pretty ruthless things, and now here in this country with a, a leader that we might not respect or look up to or praise in many in any means but yet we still are supposed to acknowledge that position that authority as being a position that is ordained by God whether the individual themselves that are in that position are doing the will of the Lord or not we as Christians are still supposed to honor that authority honor that office let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. That's a serious warning. We're not supposed to be rebellious 
up against the government leaders. We can, through proper means and proper channels, through the elections and so forth, be able to get folks in there that we could appreciate more or easier to honor or to respect. So that's why it's so important that Christians be involved in politics. Many people say, oh, separation of church and state. Separation of church and state has been misused ever since it's been put into the Constitution. Separation of church and state was based upon that the states could not establish a particular denomination or a particular religion for that state. It had nothing to do with separating out religious people from being in the political offices or the connection or association with Christians or other religions. They have totally taken it out of context, twisted it around for their own desires, just like Satan does pretty much with everything. For the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. So if the Christians do what they are supposed to do to live a God-glorifying life, to love God with all your existence and to love others as yourself, to obey the ordinances, the statutes, and the rules and regulations of the government that you are under, then you will have this praise of the same as speaking of here. For he is the minister of God. No, he, the leader the one who is in the highest position of authority, and all those that are under as well, the subordinates to that one, all the way down to the, the lowest positions of the officials. It reads, for he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Pretty clear there. It is wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For for this cause pay ye tribute also. Tribute? That's taxes. Like supposed to pay you taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. It always gets back to that, the key thing, to love. To even love our enemies as the Lord specifically told us. Difficult at times, sure, but that's what we are to do. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So if you have this kind of love for others, the statutes and ordinances, the laws and regulations and restrictions that are put out there by the, the leaders, 
will be fulfilled in you loving one another. Now granted, some of them make laws that are against God's law. And he clearly tells us in here that God has the authority over man's law. So if they try to force an individual to do something by their laws that is contrary to the law of God, then you are exempt from having to follow that law that is contrary to God. So don't misunderstand that. And there are laws that are written by man that give mankind permission to go against God's law. There again, God's law prevails over man's law. So just because the government says it's okay to murder your baby, the Lord doesn't say it's okay to murder your baby, such as all the abortion laws. As it continues, verse 11, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Letting us know we need to shape up, we need to get ready, we need to get prayed up, we need to be very vigilant because we don't know how much longer we have. It's closer than it was yesterday. So nearer and nearer. The closer it comes, the more we need to be ready for the last days. Verse 12, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, And let us put on the armor of light, the full armor of God, the light that we need to shine into those dark areas. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness. That rioting and drunkenness has been on display quite a bit around the world, especially in this country the last few years. The anarchists, the antichrist bunches, all the various titles of the different organizations. You could just go on and on. There's some 200 of them in the United States. Basically, there's only two organizations or two beliefs. You're either Christian or you're Antichrist, period. There is nothing else. The rioting and the drunkenness are from the Antichrist side. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. See, he's pointing out right here in verse 14 the key issues. To put on Jesus Christ, to be Christian, to be Christ-like, not to be selfish and seeking your own will. That's the lustful desires that he's speaking of here. And make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Those selfish desires of all those people that rise up in rioting and drunkenness and anarchy and so forth. All right, let's roll right on into chapter 14. He gets into a couple very interesting subjects here about the various beliefs and how there are different people, or I should say different degrees of maturity in people. And sometimes somebody that is weak in their faith or in their maturity, they are a babe in Christ, you might say, have latched on to various behaviors. 
and think that you have to behave in a certain way or else you're going to lose your salvation. And they have designated certain behaviors as being a qualifier of being a Christian or not. And also they have latched on to certain behaviors as being a sin or not. So they got to understand as they grow and mature, they'll know that we don't come to the Lord into salvation in a relationship with the Lord because of our works. We come to be a part of the family and become born again because of the grace of God, not because of our works. Now, when we become born again Christians, we are to take on Jesus Christ, as he told us there earlier, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We become as much like him as we possibly can. That's our goal. That's our, our desire is to be like him. So in every way to seek to mimic everything the Lord taught us, everything that he did to be like him. But in doing so, some people put too much on particular tasks or particular behaviors, put too much value, I should say, on them. When we got to know that our behaviors can result in a damaged testimony to others. And even damaged testimony to others that have particular odd beliefs, as he gets into some here, that our behavior around them can influence them and actually hurt their Christian growth, as he gets into it here. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. See, some will come in with some strange beliefs, some bizarre beliefs that they have picked up along the way, and that if you get involved in the discussion of those, that it can wind up in a riff. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Here's one of those issues. You might look at this and think, okay, the whole vegan movement. Is the whole vegan movement a religious movement or is it not? From everything I've understood and talked to and been around folks that have become vegans, it had nothing to do with religion. It was their own personal choice about what they wanted to eat or did not want to eat. It wasn't that they felt their salvation depended on whether they ate or not. particular thing. The vegan movement have some of them have taken it to the extreme of saying that it is evil to to kill an animal to eat it if they feel that way in their heart that it is evil to kill an animal then they should not kill animals and that's what he gets into here about how inside the heart of an individual if they in themselves determine that there is something that they should not do otherwise If they did it, that would be a sin. That if they turn around and then do that, it is a sin to them. Because in their heart, they are willfully disobeying what they have believed and trusted in with their relationship with the Lord. It gets kind of complicated, but he tries to explain it here as he continues. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. Like, just because somebody else might have a particular odd behavior picked out, 
And then latch on to that. One of the things that Paul would have been dealing with here would have been the Jews that were still going by the ordinances of the Mosaic law about the clean and unclean animals, the ones that you were permitted to eat and the ones that you were not permitted to eat. And if you ate them, the unpermitted ones or the unclean ones, that then you were sinning against the Lord. That was something that he would have been dealing with right there. The pork was one of those things. Now, you got to go back. Why was that ordinance given? Why was there clean and unclean animals? When was it given? What did it pertain to? And you go all the way back to the Exodus. When they were traveling, when they were in Exodus from Egypt to the Promised Land, these ordinances were given to them. For their health, they put spiritual attachment to it. But it was for their health. It wasn't because of their relationship with the Lord. But if they put a spiritual attachment on it and determined that, okay, eating this or not eating this is how much faith I have in the Lord, and then they would go against that, then they are going against themselves and their own beliefs and their trust in the Lord. Therefore, it is a sin to them. That's where it gets complicated. And here he's pointing out that if you have an encounter with somebody who has a particular attachment to one of the old 613 plus minds and statutes, ordinances and commandments of the Old Testament and still carrying them on into the New Testament time, the time of grace that we are on now, don't hate them. Help them, comfort them, let them grow, and then they'll see that we are under a new covenant. We are under a new contract. We're not bound by all those ordinances of what to eat, not to eat. We are back to what the Lord told Noah and his family when they come off the ark. You could eat anything you want now. He said prior to the to the fall of man, prior to the curse on the planet, there was so many wondrous fruits and vegetables and things to eat. You didn't have to eat the animals. But after the flood and the world changed and the environment changed, then it became necessary to even eat animals in order to stay alive because all that other good stuff wasn't grown anymore. And then, like I said, during the Exodus, there were certain things that was considered clean and unclean. It was because they were better for you or not as, as good for you. It was a health issue. That's what was given. Verse 3 again, Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another. So you got into the eating stuff. Now he's getting into the days. Just like you have people that are so dogmatic about Saturday is the Sabbath, not Sunday. Therefore we should worship on Saturday instead of on Sunday. It's like, it doesn't matter. We don't even know what day of the week it is. There's nobody on this planet, no ordinance, no statute, no record, no calendar, no carving, nothing on this planet that can tell anybody definitively even what day it is or what time of the day it is. So how can they be dogmatic about that? Every civilization has, has fallen, has risen up and fallen, and all those records have been polluted and destroyed and, and rewritten and different calendars and so forth. So there's nobody on the planet that knows even what day it is. So how can they say, well, this is the particular day and this is going to be it? They can't. We worship on Sunday because we honor Sunday as the day of resurrection. 
and therefore it became a holy day to us, a day to worship the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we have our worship services on Sunday. But technically, we don't even know if this is Sunday. It ain't no big deal. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doeth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. So that's the key. When you're eating anything, even if there's a roach running across your floor and you decide you want to eat that and you grab that and you say the blessing and you eat that, no problem. I don't recommend it, but that's what you want to do. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. We are all going to be accountable to the Lord. Reads for whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and received that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. This dead and living is physically dead and physically alive as well as spiritually dead and alive. But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We are not to condemn someone else. That's the kind of judgment he's speaking of there. That's only for the Lord to do, not us. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Everyone, individually, give account for what they have done or not done. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. So when you start getting into these disputations, as it said there in verse 1, you can create a rift, you can create a division, you can create a split, you can create a, a build a wall, a wall that divides you from an individual and that can be a stumbling block for them or yourself even. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. Nothing unclean. Going back to eating or not eating. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably? Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Like if you are offending someone because you're eating something or doing something that they find offensive, when you're around them, when you're associating with them, when you're encountering them, don't do it around them as a way of showing them that they are in error and that you have got it right because that becomes an offense and a stumbling block to them. You need to be considerate of others. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Even when the Lord sent the apostles out, when He gave them that commission to go out and spread the gospel and start 
winning converts and so forth. He told them to eat whatever is placed before you. And there would have been things placed before them that would have been considered unclean, such as pork or even some animals that had been sacrificed to pagan gods and then distributed and people would eat those animals. That would have been considered an, a sin of the old covenant. But the Lord told them to go ahead and eat whatever's laid before you. Don't worry about it. As long as you have the prayer over it, as long as you say the blessing. For he that in these things serveth Christ, he is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure. But if but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. See, going back to that person's belief. If they've still latching on to the Old Testament ways of the unclean and the clean animals, and they eat an unclean animal, to them it is an offense. To them it is a sin. Is it good enough to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak? Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in the thing which he alloweth. That's an important verse, verse there for those that have gotten into these odd beliefs. When you get things right, when you really are toned in and the Holy Ghost lets you know what is right, what is wrong, instead of what you have determined by yourself or by some other false teaching, then you can get things right when you really listen to the Holy Ghost and you grow and mature as a Christian. And here again he says, Hast thou faith? That's the key thing. Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in His written Word. Faith in what He has preserved for us. Faith in what we can be taught by the Holy Ghost. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. See, if we don't condemn ourselves, He's telling us not to condemn ourselves. We need to listen to what the Lord says is right and wrong, not what we determine is right and wrong. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So if in your heart you have established something that is a sin and something that is a violation, and then you go ahead and do that, then you're going to be miserable in that because you then in yourself feel like you have failed, you feel like you have sinned, and that can hurt your walk with the Lord in the other ways that are truly important. You have people that have given up a particular behavior, for instance, consuming something, such as alcohol. Somebody that has been an alcoholic and then got saved and the Lord cleaned them up. They walked a God-glorifying life for many years and then may have stumbled, had went back into drinking, and then the devil says, 
there you go. You're not a Christian because if you were, you would never have drink, drank again. And then boom, they backslide and they don't become fruitful Christian anymore. That's the kind of thing he's talking about here. Because that person in themselves determined that if I drink, then therefore I'm not a Christian, then therefore I might as well act like a sinner. And they did. But we got to know, like we have provision over in 1 John chapter 2, my little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate, which is like your lawyer or attorney. With the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And like it said there in verse 9 of chapter 1, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you've done something, get it right, get it taken care of, grow and mature as a Christian. Let's pray. Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we thank you oh so much for your word. It's so current, so important that we know that and to continue to study it so we can apply it in the right way and draw close to you, build our faith and trust in you and in your word. Thank you oh so much as we pray in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen.